So what I'd like to do is maybe kind of skim uh, book three and then talk about book three and talk about book four. So book three, let's all say this together. It's Vibhuti Pada. And it's, called, it's all about extraordinary powers and supernormal powers. It's all about how you um, can delete and reset your mind so that you're the best version of yourself. Um, Vibhuti itself means sacred ash. So isn't it weird or interesting that there's something called ash? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, and they put it right here, like a bindu, which is done often in Indian cultures. Huh. Just a thought. Uh-huh. Um, the ash is what remains after the fires of transformation have burned. The chapter opens with a description of the three internal practices and ends with a catalog of the miraculous results you get when you use these three practices together. The supernatural powers that come with diligent practice are called siddhas. So you all know that I have super stretch, right? I didn't like come up with super stretch or create anything unique, except I put yoga into a cartoony kind of thing. Because siddhas comes from book three. The vibhutipadas that you get are superpowers. You get superpowers because a siddha is someone who is super. And the three together are called sayama. So it's spelled S-A-M-Y-A-M-A. -A -A, so everybody has to go like this. Sai Yama. That's how you say it. So go Sai Yama. That's how you say Sayama. Because it, it's not Samyama. It's Sai Yama. And that's how you say it in Sanskrit. So we're learning about these extraordinary powers that you get when you delete and reset your mind so you're the, that you are the best, best version of yourself. So you take this motivational course and all of a sudden you're ready to go. You're a badass, pure of heart, revolutionary spirit. You want to learn all about how to go forward and conquer and be super and be a superhero. So on supernormal powers, on your... Um, all the 196 aphorisms on page 6. It starts off with dairana is the mind's chitta, fixation on a particular point in space. And then it goes through and talks about when the object of meditation only shines forth in the mind, it is devoid of thought, even of the self who is meditating. The three together are called sayama. And by mastering sayama, the light of knowledge, which is called prajna, dawns. So when you master sayama, it can be applied, and then you become tranquil in mind, diminutive of attention to all sundry and develop of one-pointedness. And um, you get this state of con concentration that's pretty unbelievable. You get all these attributes and characteristics of superhuman people. You can um, change things from the past or the future. Your word and the idea they're overlapping can be unified. Um, 18, by the realization of latent impressions, knowledge of previous birth is acquired. Oh my God, when you start to like get past life shit, holy balls. By practicing Sayama on notions, knowledge of other minds is developed. Have you ever heard of a psychic? Mm -hmm. Hold. 
or a magician who can guess what you're thinking about. The prop or basis of the notion does not get known because it is not the object of the yogin's observation. When perceptibility of the body is suppressed by practicing sayama on its visual character, disappearance of the body is affected through its getting beyond the sphere of perception of the eye. So you can like just dissolve and disappear. Oh my god. What number are you on? 21. 23. You can be friendly and be and you can be strength just by being friendly to people. 24. If you have physical strength, the strength of elephants can be acquired. Oh my god. Has anybody ever prayed light as a feather, stiff as a board? <laughs> as a kid? You're a yogi. Right? By applying the effigent light of higher sense perception, knowledge of subtle objects or things obstructed from view or placed at a great distance can be acquired. 25. Again, you're a magician. This is kind of cool. 26 through, um, it goes through your body so that it goes on the sun. The point in the body knows as a solar entrance, right? Knowledge of the cosmic regions. On the moon, the lunar entrance, knowledge of the stars. And then all of a sudden, you're learning things from like 30, the trachea, hunger and thirst can be subdued, which is true. You can change your eating style when you become a yogi. You become superpowers. And 32, on the corneal light, siddhas can be seen. There's a yoga practice in um, tantric yoga where you kind of look up in between the eyes. You gaze up there as you follow the breath up. And it's supposed to help you so that you can be super. Oh my gosh. On the heart, knowledge of the mind is acquired. When you experience pleasure or pain, it arises from a conception which does not distinguish between two extremely different entities. Oh my goodness, all this stuff. You get the super no, uh, uh, power of touch, power of taste, power of smell in 36. All these things are so amazing. Number 40, by conquering the vital life force called samana, the effluence is acquired. So effluence is brightness, luminescence, radiance. By samyama on the relationship between akasha and the power of hearing, divine sense of hearing is gained on 41. And then you turn and all of a sudden by practicing samyama on the relationship between the body and concentrating on lightness of cotton wool, you can go to the sky. You can be as light as a cotton ball. And then all of a sudden, the movies like um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Superman, any Marvel comic you can think of, like 46, perfection of body consists in beauty, grace, strength, and admantine hardness. Unbreakable hardness. Doesn't that sound like Superman? Mm -hmm. He was hot. He just had those fake glasses, right? And he could do anything and save people. Thence, on 48, come powers of rapid movement of the mind, actions of organs independent of the body, and mastery over pradhana, the primordial cause. So you can, like, stop your heart. You hear in the book, Autobiography of Yogi, yogis can stop their heart and then start it again hours later. I don't know. There's all kinds of things. Basically, when you transcend all space and time, you become a bodhisattva where you are equally established between the bodhisattva and purusha and the purity and liberation takes place. Wow. So you get all these superpowers and you get all these characteristics so you can be beautiful, graceful, and luminescence. That's pretty cool. 
And then in book four, on the self in itself or liberation, it talks about how these supernormal powers come at with you are already there, but can if you're not getting them through the yoga practice, you can get them through herbs, incantations, austerities, other kinds of like chanting, mantra practice, right? So there's different ways to get there. But the idea of what we're doing is, is that when we turn back to our cheat sheets for a second, and we look at those, when we're deleting our mind and resetting our mind so we're the best version of ourselves, and in book two we're talking about the subtleties and the gross practices of the eight limbs that have gotten us to be able to be pure of heart so that we're ready for our um, extraordinary powers. So then we start diving deep into the internal practice of how to find the sayamas. So if you do these sayamas, you guys are going to become magicians. Are you ready to become magicians? The alchemy of the practice, is the magic of the practice, is when you start diving deeper past the physical, past the breath work, and into the meditative stuff, the sayamas. And this is where you get into the sixth sense, right? We have five senses. This is where you get into the sixth sense or the heightening of your awarenesses. That's my thought. If you truly practice yoga and you start to meditate and you start to really dive deeper and listen and observe and witness the world, you start having that sixth sense. Anybody ever know when someone calls before they calls? And you pick up the phone? Or you have this gut feeling or maternal instinct that something's happening and it happened? Or you're feeling like crap and your best friend or your lover or your parent calls you and says, are you okay? Just because it's like they know. They're yogis. That's so cool. Right? So the three of them together, the Sayama, that gives you these extraordinary powers, are Dharana, which is concentration on 3.1, occurs when you focus your mind on one thing, like um, a candle-gazing practice gives you focused breath awareness. How many of you, I talked about this before, but if you meditate and you can't meditate and you're having a really hard time focusing, do a candle-gazing. But you can't do an electric candle, right? You can't do like... You know, like the plug-in lights with the batteries and stuff? You have to actually have a real candle. And if we did a 12-hour workshop together, I would have you do a candle-gazing practice. It's amazing. Some people see things. Some people can see auras or angels. Some people, it's like, that's the first time I was able to concentrate. Did five minutes really pass? It's pretty amazing. So I highly recommend candle-gazing. But that's a great way to transcend your thoughts and just focus on the light. 3.2, dhyana or meditation is a conscious, continuous flow of attentive awareness. Like a stream of oil pouring out, it's a continuous flow. That's a really, really challenging thing. That's like being in the zone, right? Where like you never have a thought when you're meditating. That's a very, very challenging thing. 3.3, samadhi, cognitive absorption occurs when the object of meditation involves the meditator and shines forth such that the subject and object become one. 
kind of cool, huh? But it's interesting because it's showing the dualism, the subject and the object. You are not your thoughts, right? But if you allow your thoughts to find a state of equanimity and the subject and the object are one, that's where liberation comes. That's where freedom comes from. So Sayama become the key to the yogic superpowers. 3.4, Sayama is a simultaneous practice of dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. It is a magic key that unlocks the siddhas, or yoga superpowers. If you dive deep enough into any subject matter, it will reveal its secrets to you. Don't you think that happens? Like, say you just don't know how to cook, and you start kind of taking a like remedial cooking class. You know, you get those yoga books, Cooking for Dummies. And then you move into like, oh, you're going to kind of go a little bit deeper, and then you start taking a cooking class at a cooking school. And then all of a sudden you start cooking without using uh, recipes. And then all of a sudden you start coming up with your own stuff. It's a process. It's a practice. It's habitual. But if you dive deep enough into the subject matter, it will reveal its secret to you. Present moment is all you need to know the past and the future. And some of the siddhas discussed in chapter 3 are knowledge of the future and previous births, ability to read minds, invisibility, great strength, super senses, levitation, ability to walk through walls, and the ability to get very small, large, heavy, light. So when you get these six senses, this is something that uh, the Patanjali makes very clear. When you get these superpowers, it may seem really neato and nifty, but there are major obstacles to attaining samadhi. The best course of action is to be unattached to the superpowers that you get, because if you let your ego get snared, you might end up at square one or worse. You can go down into a negative direction or a positive direction, right? Because guru is out of the darkness into the light, but you can also go dark and be a dark, evil, mean human instead of being a positive, joyful, uh, light-giving individual. So do you remember in Spider-Man when Peter Parker, his uncle, tells him, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> That's what happens. You ever hear those yogi stories of the ashram becoming a sex orgy place? And they have to close down? They're doing too much drugs and they're having orgies? Or the ashrams where um, the leader says he's omnipotent and says drink some Kool-Aid and everybody dies? Or the um, yoga culture now where the teacher says that they're God or they're awesome and then the students have to sleep with them and then their organizations fold because they're having some challenges. Your gifts that you get as a yogi can be to bring greatness into the world but you can also use your ego and be very manipulative and take yourself on a really dark, evil path. 
and really mess people up because people are going to see that lightness and see the gifts that you get from yoga. And they're going to want it. And then you can decide whether or not you're going to be like a good person or an evil person. Well, if you give me like $1,000, then for sure I can help you. Right? Or if you do this for me, then I can help you. But what if you just were the teacher and on the seat of the teacher weren't manipulative, but you actually just shared your wisdom and your passion? It's a life is such a subtle, has so much subtleties, but you can really go down a positive or a negative direction. So in Book three, in the book about extraordinary powers, Patanjali definitely makes sure that people who are reading the book on yoga sutras, how to gain that interconnectedness, the power of yoga, that you don't use it for evil means. It's very easy. Because you can get intoxicated by your power. We see it all the time in our world. But let's um, talk about the idea of um, uh, sattvic things, the middle path. Um, when we learn all about our superpowers, we really find this middle path, or the idea of sattvic energy. Um, a lot of times you'll realize that you don't need as much sleep as a yogi, right, when you practice a lot and you have a lot of energy, and you start eating cleaner or purer. Um, you have lightness in body, high efficiency. You're focused um, mind, and you need um, sometimes to get up and meditate early in the morning so that you can really stay grounded. Your breath becomes really spacious and subtle. Um, in the Hatha Yoga Pratapika, it talks about how we want to have breath practices or a meditation practice like three times a day, so that you don't go down the dark path, so that you don't use your superpowers in bad ways. So those of you who have ever heard of Transcendental Meditation, they teach Transcendental Meditation so that it is a three time a day practice. And there's lots of famous people who do it. Uh, David Lynch, he has really funny books on it. Um, he has a thing called Quiet Time for Kids. Goldie Hawn, she has a really great program called Mind Up. Um, and uh, even um, like you'll hear like Jerry Seinfeld, he practices it and it really helped him in his career. So you hear lots of famous people who practice Transcendental Meditation, but they always are recommended to do it three times a day. Um, because when you breathe and you really focus on the prana, you're blowing away the toxins or those egotistical thoughts, right? And when you pay attention and stay focused and witness to the breath, you don't make up shit anymore, <laughs> right? You're proactive versus reactive. You're spacious. And you find what yogis call the most harmonious or luminous, luminous state is called a tariya. That tariya breath is where you start practicing something called kumbhaka. If our body is a pot, kumbha, this isn't on your sheets, but if a body is a pot, because that's what a kumbha means, 
Then when we practice breath ratios, instead of just having a two to one ratio where we inhale for one and exhale for two, we're gonna start to create space in between those. So we inhale for an opportunity, hold it for an opportunity, exhale for an opportunity, and hold it. And in turn, you're getting more fresh oxygenated blood to your brain, you're having a more positive effect on your nervous system, and you're making sure that you're pure, harmonious, balanced, and light so that you can't cling to those triggers that are negative. Does that make sense? So you start practicing a lot, you think that yoga is just yoga, and then you realize that it's really about having a mindfulness practice that grounds you so that you can be the best person and use your extraordinary powers for greatness. Like a superhero. And that's what book three is all about. It's saying, okay, I've practiced yama to your mama, I've practiced my niyamas, I took my shower, I did my, you know, uh, stuff. Um, I practiced my asanas on the platform of the breath, and now I'm ready to practice the sayamas so that I can use my greatness to accomplish infinite possibilities. It's kind of neat. To me, it's a check-in, it's a time-in. So often in our culture, we're like stressed out, we're running around, we're going, 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 going. But if we gave ourselves the opportunity, three times a day, one time a day, whatever works for you, to have a grounding practice, to anchor down. Even if it's a cup of tea, you don't wanna meditate, your meditation could be a cup of tea. Or maybe it's a workout. But if you're not giving yourself an opportunity to reboot your superhuman machine, Patanjali's saying that, well, shit, you're gonna fuck yourself up. So don't forget that this practice is a practice. And you can't walk away from it. Especially when you're on the precipice of greatness. I mean, yeah, I want to get as light as a cloud and walk through walls and, you know, be able to remember things from my past life so I can use it. But you can lose it if you're not honorable to the practice. And then book four is Kaivalya Pada. So let's all say that. Kaivalya Pada. So this is the um, foundation of teaching you freedom or liberation, which is moksha, correct? And it's on the self, in the self. This chapter talks about the subject of kaivalya, the highest form of samadhi or perfect emancipation. Patanjali opens this chapter in which, in, with a list of ways in which siddhas can arise, where you can get your superheroes. So maybe this will answer your question, Ellen. 
You can get it from the merit of practice you did in a former life. You can get it by genetics or just because you're talented or just because you keep showing up, right? And we all know that svadhyaya, the self-study, right? If we do the self-study that the niyama tells you about, you will be able to dive deeper into your subject matter until you become an expert at it. The hard work will pay off. And then the other way you could do it is through herbs and other chemical means. You know, the people used to do a lot of drugs to get to a higher state. It was big in the 70s for yogis to do that, but yogis in, this, in the text, they call it soma, which is like um, a drug. And they used to go take a drug and go off into the woods and stay in a little, um, you know, what do you call it? You go in the woods, you don't wear a lot of clothes, and you like go and hang out in a... Sweat lodge? Mm, yeah, sweat lodge is one form of, of pushing all this stuff out, but it's like you'd go live with a guru out in the woods and like, you know, like in a, like a cave. There, that's what I was thinking of, a cave. It's pretty, I mean, just like do crazy things. Heat, we talked about in another uh, discussion and with another group, how heat can affect and kind of push everything out. There's nothing wrong with heat. Some people need it. Some people don't. Uh, mantra is another way of um, finding your superpowers. Some people um, like to sing. It's a form of devotion. It's a form of bhakti yoga, right? That yoga of love and devotion. Singing's fun. It resonates your body. It gets you into that um, primordial sound of the earth because the, the um, melodies and the harmony help to, for, with some people, kind of like re-pattern their brain. So it gets their brain and their neurological pathways to stay on the right track. And then there's uh, tapas, where you just work really hard. And then ultimately, find samadhi. Whatever that might mean for you. Um... In the chapter on, uh, in the fourth chapter, they talk a lot about how characteristics which are present at all times are manifest and subtle and are composed of the three gunas. And that's number 13 of um, book four in the, it's line 13. And gunas are an interesting thing. It's more about something that comes up in Ayurveda and yoga. So for those of you who um, don't really um, know much about Ayurveda, I put that on page 10 in your appendix. When you're practicing yoga, consciousness 
and purusha, which and and matter, which is prakriti, are two distinct things. So the seer and the seen, right? Patanjali's clear assertion that the seer and the seen, or God and nature, or purusha and prakriti, are two distinct aspects of reality. The core belief here is that the practice of yoga, in particular, what we identify as a concentration-based meditation, is for the purpose of overcoming attachment to the phenomenal world of appearances, or what is seen, and they become identified with the seer, and thereby to know God. So that they kind of like uh, find a balance within each other. And through that, it gets to talk about the gunas. So from the Vedic perspective, all matter, all material nature or prakriti is thought to be made up of primary qualities or gunas. And these three gunas make up the essential aspects of all nature, energy, matter, and consciousness. And um, because this is an Ayurvedic thing, I'm not really going to spend a lot of time of it. But these qualities of nature is we're trying to find the most sattvic thing, the most harmonious thing, like that Tariya. We're trying to find that most balanced state. The power of harmony, balance, light, and intelligence. Higher spiritual potential is sattvic. Rajas is the power of energy or action, change, and movement. And tamas is the power of darkness, inertia, form, and materiality. But the qualities of nature you can gain through your practice, just like what we were saying about that you can go dark or light, this is how you kind of can describe the dark or the light through Ayurvedic philosophy. It's called a guna. Makes me think of the movie Goonies. And our ultimate goal is to have that sattvic space where we're luminous and where we have this beautiful, harmonious energy. And we're focused and balanced. As we discussed during our break, this whole text is to help you to start to think, figure out why and to start asking questions. It goes along any, any belief system. It goes alongside any belief system. It's a spiritual doctrine about how to open up and be vulnerable. How many of your friends are so closed off and have so many layers upon them that you don't even know how to crack them? Or you don't even maybe want to spend the time to crack them and then they become very isolated and lonely and sad, right? When we become vulnerable, when we create space, we are allowed to kind of become our best selves. And so this text is all about creating guidelines and timeless principles on how to get rid of the pain and suffering in the world to create some health and balance and harmony. It doesn't sound bad to me, right? It's just a lot of big words and really heady text to kind of um, use as food for thought. So if you think of them as just ways to open up and be a better person, Kind of sounds better than like, oh, there's this big book that I have to read. I don't understand what the heck it's about. And it's in another language that's translated to English, which makes it even worse because when you read it, you're like thoroughly confused. 
right? But if you just say like, oh, this is teaching me how to gain freedom from my mind so that I can be a kinder person to my family, so that I can be a better person when I interact with others outside of, um, you know, my yoga mat, or it's teaching me that what I love about yoga and how I feel about yoga, I can start to be that same person off the yoga mat because I now have these tips and tools for right living. So if this cuts to the heart of the human dilemma and everybody's suffering from it, right, or everybody's suffering, then freedom doesn't seem that hard to get to if we have now this kind of like eight-step process to get there. The hard part is staying on the path, right? How many people have like a make a to-do list and then they can't get their to-do list done because other things come up and then you get busy, right? So, so in a sense, the to-do list of yoga is a lifestyle and the list that you're creating will become habitual that you might even like start to crave, oh, I need to wake up in the morning and meditate because I'm a better person, you know? Or I need to wake up in the morning and make sure that I go running or that I have a yoga practice and I have a little room that I do it in or that I um, walk the dogs or that I pet my cat or that I make sure I roll over in the morning and hug whoever's in bed with me on that day, just kidding. <laughs> Um, uh, and, and, and be like, good morning, right? That, like, you start off on the right foot, right? All of this is just foundations on how to, like, extract happiness and meaning from this really crazy thing called life. And our, our, our sheets, these 196 aphorisms that I have here, or the sheets, the books that you have, or other books that you might find, they're just how to, um, they're giving you opportunities to find ease. It's not saying if you don't do this, you're not going to go to yoga land and you're going to die and you're never going to be a good yogi or a good human, right? One time I wasn't breathing right in a class and like um, I asked the teacher like because he kept critiquing me on the way that I was breathing. He's like, that's not how you're supposed to breathe. And I was like, oh, I just thought I was breathing. So I walked out thinking like, oh my God, I'm not going to go to yoga land because he or it, the teacher, didn't think that I was breathing the right way, you know. And that's not it. This is, this is an opportunity to find your path. Find your practice, and then use it to be a better human. And maybe I'm being too PC about the whole thing and not militant enough, but I think it's a really attainable thing. 
these eight limbs, they keep it rolling. I, every time I think of things, I, sometimes I think about like um, uh, the Beatles studied a lot of yoga, right? And so some of their songs or some of the wing songs like are very like um, have very prophetic lines or metaphors like, you know, just got to keep it rolling. And even if one limb or one thing didn't work out that great that day, it doesn't mean that you still aren't on the path. You just have to start back again. The idea is that we're not really just us here, right? Sometimes people think, like, I'm the only person and uh, this stuff's going really bad and no one understands where I am. But if we take the great vows as yogis to become one, we're all interconnected and we're connected to something greater. It's not just us. There's this whole thing out there in the universe called Indra's, Indra's Web that this higher consciousness that we're part of isn't just, like, you raise the vibration. You vibe with your tribe. You'll find your people. You're not alone. That's what this thing is saying. It's cool. I think the biggest challenge and the thing that I want to convey to all of you is that you are um, in a group of individuals and you're studying with these people because you dove down the looking glass or you drove into the like the you know, rabbit hole, and now you keep diving deeper, you keep asking more questions, you keep thinking about more stuff. And the thing is to remember that the people who aren't studying these, these subjects are going to think you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and that your positivity is like a jackhammer. And let's see, what else have I heard? Um, <laughs> that you're just like sprinkling fairy dusts, or you believe in unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff. But the idea is, is that you're creating a group, your study group, your group of individuals that you hang out with. Your group is someone you can talk about this stuff with. If you have a challenge or a question, or you like, wow, this really struck me and I didn't know what to do, you have people to talk to. A lot of times what happens is as you learn this stuff, you realize like, oh, my loneliness wasn't really that I needed to be around people. My loneliness is because I wasn't comfortable with myself. And now that I'm studying this stuff, I'm being more comfortable with myself. I don't need to hang out with that person who makes me feel like shit. I don't need to hang out and do blah, 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 because it doesn't serve me anymore, right? So your group of friends might change as you dive deeper into this. Your, your um, passions might start to change and stuff like that. But you have a group of people to be a uh, part of, a team with, and to share and to talk so that you don't have to feel like I'm so thoroughly confused or I can't believe this happened, right? And if you are in a partnership or have a family or a householder, make sure that you communicate at least what you're going uh, through or that's happening or what you're learning about. So at least if they want to go on the journey, they do, because a lot of times 
people feel like you're not sharing with them. That's really tough with kids because, well, my kids are older, but if any mom does anything, then it must be kind of weird. So <laughs> you know, they're not going to really, it's almost like the less you say, the better. You know, you just sort of lead by example. Yeah, lead by example, let your freak flag fly. And if, uh, if um, they think something's weird, then just change the notion of weird, the word weird. Flip it into a positive word if you think it's a negative word. Oh, yeah, I like embrace the weird rules of course, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like when you want them to really get a message, you can't push it too hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, and that's why you have a group of peers who you can communicate with, because sometimes it gets confusing. Does anybody have any question about this amazing human or collective group of people that gave all these cool um, ideas to us that fell down from heaven and now are already in your heart, but I just helped to kind of share with you and try to make comprehensible. Are you going to write a book? Am I going to write a book? What all this together was really nice. Really oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Seriously. That's a good idea. She can help you and then she'll use Snoopy. <laughs> Snoopy, Snoopy. She writes all of her reports with Snoopy. What? She makes books out of like, like she makes stories out of the Yamas and Yamas. Yeah. Oh, I gotta see it. She's gonna make additional books. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> you were done. <laughs>